welcome to the sermon webcast of Good News Lutheran Church of Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. The following sermon was preached on Sunday, January 27th, 2019, on the basis of Luke 4, verses 16 through 30. I-N-A-B-I-A-F. You know what that stands for? Don't worry, parents, it's not the latest string of letters that teenagers have come up with so that they can communicate with one another without their parents knowing what they are saying. It's actually a series of initials that has developed out of the world of software engineering. So picture a group of computer programmers working together to develop a a code, a program, for some sort of computer software or video game. And, And they're working together and they get it exactly how they want it to be and it's working perfectly and so then it hits the shelves. But then it gets into the hands of users. And users start to do things that the computer, programs didn't, computer programmers didn't really anticipate. And so suddenly an error message pops up, or the program doesn't work the way that it's supposed to work, or maybe it even fails and crashes completely. In other words, the program has a bug. Well, over time there has arisen this, this phrase, this expression, as a way of dealing with these bugs. It's sort of a, a way for snide and sophisticated computer engineers to laugh at and, and even dismiss a little bit the concerns about these glitches in their programs. And so people say I-N-A-B-I-A-F. It's not a bug. It's a feature. In other words, we knew that it was going to do that. That's how it's supposed to work. It's going just as we designed it to go. I bring that up this morning because I think in a lot of ways people can have the same view of the Bible or sort of approach the Bible along the same lines. The Bible was written by a group of people. It's, it's kind of this big body of information and instructions, and they, they put it all together, and, and they probably got it exactly how they wanted it to be, and it, it probably worked very well for them, but then it got into the hands of users. And the modern user looks at the Bible, and they find all kinds of things that they don't really like very much. They find ideas that don't make sense, and concepts that seem out of date, and and rules for living that they don't want to follow. They find things that seem not just incorrect about the Bible, but things that seem downright offensive about the Bible. And so they kind of have this same viewpoint, that sure, the Bible's got some good stuff in it, but it also has all of these bugs. Well, believe it or not, they're actually right. Only they're more right than they probably even realize. You see, when it comes to the Bible, it's not just an idea here or a rule over there that the human user is naturally going to find offensive. No, really, in the hands of a human user, the Bible is offensive to its very core. In fact, the idea that is most offensive in God's word is the idea that's right at the center of it all, the idea that we call the gospel. And if that sounds odd, and if you maybe don't believe me, Today we're going to be looking at an event in the life of Jesus. You know, Jesus, who most people know, is kind of the central character of the entire Bible. And we're going to see Jesus preach a sermon. Jesus is going to preach a message that is really the central message of the Bible. And so as the Bible's main character preaches about the Bible's main message, do you know what the response was? People were offended. And these weren't Jesus' opponents. They weren't his rivals. We can't simply write it off as a bunch of godless heathens who didn't know any better. No, these were God's own people. In fact, these people were sitting in the very place where you are sitting today. They were sitting in church. So what do we do about this? Or what's God going to do about this? That the very idea that is at the heart and core of the scriptures, the very central message that Jesus came to proclaim, is a message that inevitably offends the human ears of the people who receive it. 
Well, as we look at these verses from Luke chapter 4 this morning, we're going to borrow this set of initials from the world of computer programming. I-N-A-B-I-A-F. It's not a bug, it's a feature. In other words, as we look at these verses from Luke chapter 4, we're going to see that the offensiveness of Jesus' message isn't a bug, it's actually a feature. So here's the scene in front of us in these verses. Jesus had just started his public ministry, so his career as a public figure had just gotten going. He had performed a few miracles, he had delivered a few sermons, and already word about him was spreading. His public approval rating was already soaring through the roof. You can imagine the response when people in his hometown of Nazareth heard about this, how excited they were that one of their own from this small, no-name town had become so famous. You can maybe picture the headlines in the newspaper. Local boy makes good. You can maybe picture them redesigning that sign out in front on the road as they went into town. Nazareth, hometown of Jesus. What a, what a special thing that Jesus was from their hometown and now he was coming back. He was going to show up in church, in the synagogue, the place of worship, on the Sabbath day, the day of worship, and he was going to give the sermon. Everything was all set up for Jesus to receive a hero's welcome. And so then Jesus stood up and he read those words from the prophet Isaiah that you heard. How God had promised that the day would come when the Messiah would bring good news to the poor. When he would bring freedom to prisoners. When he would bring sight to the blind. Jesus read those verses and then he said, Good news everybody, that day is today. And that Messiah is me. Sounds kind of wonderful, right? Well, the people weren't so sure. You see, they knew Jesus a little bit too well to be wholeheartedly optimistic about his message. Sure, they were impressed by his words. Clearly, the man could command a room when he wanted to. And yet, Jesus' words forced them to admit some very difficult things about themselves. If what Jesus was saying was true, then those people that Isaiah was, ta was talking about, those people were actually them. They were the poor, people who had nothing to bring to the table in terms of their relationship with God. Then they were those captives, those prisoners, people who were trapped and enslaved by sin and death and could do nothing on their own to escape. They were those blind, people lost in the darkness with no hope of finding the truth. Jesus' words also forced them to admit something very difficult about Jesus, that he, this one that they had seen grow up, this one that they knew as a child that he was the only one who could fix their problem. Jesus was telling them that they were sick, that they were terminally, fatally ill, and that he was the only one who had the solution. He was the doctor that they needed. And because they knew Jesus so well, because they were so familiar with him and had seen him grow up, they were a little bit skeptical. In fact, Jesus could kind of read the room after he had delivered that sermon, and he knew what they were thinking. He knew that if he was a doctor, they knew, he knew that they wanted to see some proof. They wanted to see some credentials. They wanted him to perform some miracles for them, just like he had done in other places. You would think out of all the places in the world where Jesus would have gotten a warm reception, it was right there in Nazareth among his own people. And yet, we see that the message of Jesus is offensive, even among, and maybe especially among, those who are most familiar with him. Now, that doesn't bode very well for people who are sitting in the very same seats here in God's house, the place of worship, on the day of worship. 
We might be tempted to think that if Jesus walked through the door today and stood up in front of church and gave the sermon, he would receive a much different reception than he did in Nazareth that day. And yet realize that the words of Jesus, the message that he delivered, forces us also to accept some very difficult things about ourselves as well. In fact, I wonder if Jesus stood up in front of this room and said, hey, great news, everybody. I'm here to do big and exciting things here in Mount Horeb. I am here to bring good news to the poor. I'm here to bring release and freedom to the captives. I'm here to bring sight to people who are lost and can't find their way. I'm here to do all of those things. How many of us might respond, that sounds great, Jesus. That sounds terrific. And those people that you're talking about, they're right out there, so you go get them. It would be easy for us to admit that we're misguided people who just need a little bit of direction from Jesus. Or that we're misinformed people who just need a little bit of education from Jesus. Be easy to admit that sometimes we're sluggish or apathetic people who just need a little bit of inspiration and motivation from Jesus. But to admit that we're sick, that we're terminally, fatally ill, and that he's the only one who has the cure, that's a little bit tougher. Or maybe we're quick to admit that. But because we're so familiar with the healing that Jesus brings, maybe that's where we're a little bit skeptical. You know, you come here week after week and you hear and you see the healing that Jesus provides. You hear and see where that is found. It's found in his word and it's found in his sacraments. And maybe we're tempted to think that if Jesus really did come to be the one and only solution to our greatest problem, then maybe the healing would be a little bit more impressive. Or maybe we'd be tempted to think that if Jesus really is healing us through his word and through his sacraments, that maybe we would feel it a little bit more. Maybe we'd be able to see it a little bit more at work in our lives, that it would seem to make a bigger difference than sometimes it seems to make. Again, we think that if out of all the places where Jesus would get a warm reception, it would be right here in his house. And yet the same thing that was true that day is still true today, that the message of Jesus is offensive, even among and maybe especially among those who are most familiar with it. So what's Jesus going to do about this? How's Jesus going to fix this? Well, again, here's the solution. I-N-A-B-I-A-F. It's not a bug. It's actually a feature. And before I tell you how that's true with Jesus, I want to show you that sometimes in real life it actually is true. It's not just a, a throwaway line to dismiss people's concerns. Back in 1968, there was a man named Spencer Silver, who was an, a scientist working in the lab at 3M. You maybe know that 3M makes things like scotch tape and all kinds of other sticky products. So he was working there in the lab trying to find adhesives, trying to come up with adhesives that were tougher and stronger and stickier. And he came up with a batch. He came up with a formula that actually wasn't stronger. It was very, very weak. The exact opposite of what he was trying to accomplish. And yet, thankfully, he didn't throw it away. Because as they continued to work with it and examine, with it, they examine it, they noticed some very mysterious properties. Not only was it weak, but you could actually take two things, stick them together, and then you could pull them back apart without damaging either of the two things. And you could use that adhesive over and over and over again, and it wouldn't really lose all that much of its stickiness. And so they were looking for different applications for what they might make of this adhesive. And so finally someone realized that if you put just a little bit of that adhesive on the back of a small piece of paper, you could write on that piece of paper and you could stick it to things and then you could grab it later and thus the post-it note was born. Sometimes it's true. I-N-A-B-I-A-F. It's not a bug. It's a feature. In the very same way, we might be tempted to think that when Jesus got this response, 
he would have immediately backed down, changed course, changed direction, go off script a little bit to kind of bring the, the crowd back around into his favor, and yet he does just the opposite. After the crowd responds and, so, and shows some initial hostility to his message, he says, yep, this is exactly what was supposed to happen. I can tell that it's working. This is how it always goes. A prophet is never accepted in his own hometown. In fact, he says this is how it's always been. Back in the days of two other great prophets, Elijah and Elisha, this is exactly what happened. God's own people rejected them, but it was foreigners and outsiders who welcomed them in. This is exactly what is supposed to be happening. And then notice how by the end of the story, Everything that Jesus had said to those people proves itself to be true. They get so upset with Jesus that they haul him outside of town. They bring him to the edge of a cliff, and they're getting ready to throw him off the cliff to kill him. And instead, Jesus walks right through the crowd, unharmed, undisturbed, and he goes on his way. And we might be tempted to focus on the first half of that. That somehow Jesus walked through this angry mob of people without them being able to touch him. And yes, it is kind of ironic that they wanted to see a miracle from Jesus and they eventually got one. But don't miss what Luke tells us happened after that. Jesus walked right through the crowd and then he went on his way. After receiving this kind of reception, it would have been completely understandable if Jesus had said, well, that's it, I'm out of here, I don't need this. But he went on his way back to work, back to the course, back to the mission for which he came to bring the very thing that he had promised to bring, healing for our sins, rescue from death. The people prove that they are just who Jesus says that they are. They are those poor, those captives, those blind. And Jesus proves that he is exactly who he says he is. He is the doctor who came to bring healing. when we think about the offensiveness of Jesus' message, we might be tempted to think, well, shouldn't Jesus just tone it down a little bit? Shouldn't we tone it down a little bit? If, if it were a little bit less abrasive and offensive, wouldn't more people want to hear it? In the short term, maybe. But think about it for a second. If everything that I hear in my own mind and in my own heart and everything that I hear from the world around me is exactly the same, in perfect harmony with what I hear from Jesus, won't I at some point conclude that I just don't need to hear from Jesus anymore. Or maybe think of it this way. If a doctor set up a new clinic in town and promised free suckers to all new patients, would a lot of people come? I know a lot of kids would want to come. But what if that doctor never wanted to tell anybody that anything was wrong with them and therefore never offered any real treatment? I'm guessing pretty soon those patients would stop coming. I mean, some of us had a, have a hard enough time going to the doctor when we're actually sick. Imagine how much more so if we're under the false illusion that we're healthy. And so Jesus tells it like it is. He tells us that we are poor. That we come to our relationship with God able to bring nothing to the table. But he also tells us that he takes those very same hands of those who come as beggars and he fills them with every good thing. Jesus tells us that we are prisoners of sin and death, that there's nothing in our power that we can do to escape those things. And yet he also tells us that he holds the key to that prison, that by his life and his death, that prison has been rendered powerless. Jesus tells us that we are blind, that left to ourselves, we would do nothing but hopelessly grope in the darkness. And yet he also tells us that he is the light, that he reveals to us the truth about God and the path to God. And does that offend us? Will that hurt? Yes. 
but it offends us sort of the way it offends us when the doctor tells us what's wrong. You've got cancer, and it's terminal. Ouch. It sort of offends us the way it offends us when we get the life-saving treatment that we need that often comes with a lot of painful side effects. Yes, it hurts, but the very thing that causes it to hurt is the very thing that gives it the power to heal. It hurts us sort of in the way that it hurts our eyes when we've been spending a lot of time in the darkness and we, so we suddenly walk out into bright light. Does it hurt? Yes. But the very reason it hurts is the very thing that causes our eyes to change and eventually be able to see. The offensiveness of Jesus' message is not a bug. It's actually a feature. That offensiveness is the very thing that gives it its effectiveness. And so, friends, here's what I'm going to say to you today in conclusion. That you need to continue to come and hear from Jesus, not unless or until he offends you, not even if he offends you, but you need to come and hear from Jesus so that he offends you. You need to continue to make time to be in God's word in your home so that you are offended. And you need to continue to make time to be here in God's house in order that you are offended. Because when it comes to the message of Jesus, the offensiveness of that message is not a bug, it's a feature. Sometimes what Jesus tells us will in fact be a bitter pill to swallow but it's exactly the pill that our good doctor knows that we need. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Good News Lutheran Church, visit www.goodnewslc.org.